Um, today we're in Ruth chapter four. Ruth chapter four, and we're gonna we're gonna conclude the book of Ruth today. So uh, four out of five. We've, it's a it's a five Sunday month. It's the fifth Sunday in December, and uh, on the sixteenth of December, you'll require you'll recall rather that we. Um, did a sort of a family traditions Christmas and read the Christmas story and had some special music. And so uh, that means today we, we finish Ruth chapter 4. And I, I hope you've been able to see some of the just amazing parallels between Boaz and Christ and now today Obed, uh, who will be born, and Christ. So we're, we've been focusing on this idea that there's a redemption that takes place in the city of Bethlehem that is showing us something about the ultimate redemption that God's going to provide by sending a redeemer in the city of Bethlehem at Christmas. You, you, you tracking with the parallel? And, and today, Ruth chapter 4 really brings uh, this concept of redemption to a, to a climactic head. I mean, it's, it's just incredible, the themes and the parallels that we're going to see in chapter 4. And you're going to have to forgive me, sort of in the middle of the sermon uh, the first eight verses kind of set up the redemption that's going to take place in, in sort of this middle section of chapter four. And I was, I was at Starbucks, which is where I do my best work, and um, I, you know, I had a latte going and uh, two shots in there, and man, I just, I was overwhelmed and overjoyed by what happens in Ruth chapter four, and my hope is that I can give you some of that this morning, because it just just made me want to worship Jesus, and I was in Starbucks, so I had to keep it under control a little bit, but, but now I'm not, so you're in trouble. Uh, Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 and continuing through the end of the chapter, would you hear with me now the word of God? Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke when did he do that? Back in chapter 3, was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. But he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, the Closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any manner matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malin. Moreover, 
I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Sounds a bit like Christmas, doesn't it? Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may His name become famous in Israel. May He also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to Him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Amenadab, and to Amenadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse Would you pray with me? God, help us to see you this morning through Ruth chapter 4. Help us to see your son in all of his redeeming glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So like the previous chapters, uh, chapter 4 is kind of like an act in this overall play. Now by saying that it's a play, I'm not saying that the story didn't happen it's just the way that the author has presented to us this sequence of events. So it's, it's kind of act four, scenes one, two, and three. In scene one, we see Boaz with this nearer redeemer at the city gate, determining who's going to redeem Naomi and Ruth. In scene two, verses nine through 17, we see Boaz marrying Ruth and redeeming Naomi. And then in scene three, we get this royal genealogy where the author is telling us, all right, everything you read about this family, you need to go back and reread it because it's about far more than just the redemption of this family. It's about a king and God's people. So act four, scene one, Boaz deals at the city gate. We learn in these eight verses that redemption is costly. That, that it cost God something in order to redeem humanity, in order to buy back his people from uh, their sin and their circumstances and their plight. So chapter 3 closes with Naomi believing that Boaz is going to settle the, the issue of redemption on the next day. And then Act 4 opens with Boaz doing exactly what Naomi thought he would, was going to do. I mean, the language of verses 1 and 2 is very brief, right? 
It's very commanding. Sit down. Come over here. You do this. And everybody does what Boaz tells them to do. The author wants us to see that, that Boaz is in control. He's decisive. He's not going to be deterred. He's on an unstoppable mission to redeem. And when God sets out to redeem his people, nobody's going to stop him. In verse 3, Boaz explains that Naomi is selling Elimelech's field. In verse 4, Boaz says, look, if you're not going to buy it, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to see to it that Naomi and Ruth are redeemed. Now, the buyer was going to benefit from having the land, right? From the annual harvest. And he would assume responsibility for the remaining family. And Naomi is old. Naomi's not going to have a son. So this redeemer is thinking, well, this is great. I'm going to buy this land. Naomi's old. She can't have another son. And this land will become part of my other sons, my family's inheritance to, to pass on. It's a nice addition to the family portfolio. It's a no-brainer. So Mr. So-and-so redeemer, when, when, when Boaz says, come over here, friend, and sit down, the, the expression in Hebrew, it's not really friend, it's, it's hey, so-and-so. right? Because he, he won't redeem, he doesn't even get a name in the story. So Mr. So-and-so Redeemer wants the land, which causes us to wonder at the end of verse 4, okay, hold on a second, have I really been reading this entire story to find out that Mr. So-and-so is the one who gets to be the Redeemer? I mean, isn't Boaz supposed to get the land and get the girl, but how in the world is that going to happen now? It's great storytelling. But Boaz throws Mr. So-and-so a curveball in verse 5. One way or another, Ruth must be a part of the deal. And although Ruth does not fall under any of the legal categories for redemption articulated in Leviticus 25, she's not a slave, she's not a blood relative, she's not a landowner, Boaz exceeds the requirement of the law, and he insists that she must be included as a part of the deal. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to include us as a part? of the deal. We were outsiders. We didn't have anything to offer. We were like Ruth from Moab. We were far off, fire, foreigners, sinners, strangers to the people of God. And Jesus came and said, my blood's going to be good enough for those people too. You see, the Redeemer goes beyond the letter of the law to fulfill the spirit of the law and include Ruth among God's people. Now, what's interesting in verse 5, there's two textual traditions uh, for what verse 5 is saying. There's two interpretations of the text, and the manuscript evidence is pretty evenly divided. It's not clear whether Boaz is saying that the unnamed redeemer would have to marry Ruth and raise up a son to her, or if Boaz is saying this, that's fine. You go on and redeem the land if you want to, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to marry Ruth, and I'm going to give her a son, and then all that property, once she has a son... At the year of Jubilee, we'll have to revert back to her anyway. In other words, we don't, we don't know which one is going on. Regardless, we know from verse 6 that Mr. So-and-so reverses his decision because he's not willing to jeopardize his own inheritance. Do you see that in verse 6? Suddenly, it's, it's not a good deal for him. If the redemption's not a good deal for him, then he's not willing to be a redeemer. Aren't you glad that we have a Redeemer who is willing to spend himself in order to bring us into his family? Uh, some authors explain it this way. Since the property would, not, would, be, excuse me, would be inherited only by a son produced with Ruth, it would not 
be divided among the nearer kinsmen's other sons. When the property was transferred to the heir who would continue Elimelech's family line, any benefit of the produce of the land would be lost. In other words, the nearer redeemer is shown to us to show us the lavish grace of God in Christ. That he doesn't secure redemption that is for his benefit. He comes to redeem for our benefit. This near redeemer, when he sees the high price that he must pay with no long-term advantages to himself, he backs out and he signifies it with a sandal. But later, one would come whose sandal John the Baptist said he wasn't even fit to unloose. And he would don the clothes of a slave, of a servant, and he would go to Calvary. And he would secure with his own blood a redemption not for his own good, but for the glory of his Father and the good of all nations who would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Redeemer who willingly pays an incredibly high price. We see that in Act chapter 4, scene 2, where Ruth is married and Naomi is redeemed. The Redeemer, we see a few things about redemption in this section of verses. The Redeemer willingly pays the price. He unites himself with the redeemed. That's his marriage to Ruth. And he gives his son to raise the sons of men. In verses 9 and 10, Boaz does what he had promised Ruth he would do back in chapter 3. He would see to it that somebody redeemed her. He pays the price that Mr. So-and-so would not pay. Boaz shows us that in redeeming us, God doesn't hold anything back. Notice what Boaz says in verse 9. He not only buys what belongs to Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, but to Killian and Malin as well. In other words, her sons. The only hope for Elimelech is that he have a son to continue and perpetuate his name in the land. So Boaz marries Ruth, and the Lord enables her to conceive, verse 13. The, the language is very clear. This conception happens because God intervenes. In Ruth, as at Christmas, it is the Lord who makes the gift of a redeeming son possible. God is the one who allows the son to be given. He gives a son to redeem Naomi from Ruth's previously barren womb. And the son is given the name by the women of the city, Obed, which means servant. It's interesting to me that this son's name is servant, for Christ came not to serve himself, but to be the servant of all. He serves Naomi by, look at verse 14, being the restorer of her life. And earlier we see by raising up a name of Elimelech. What had been lost in self-reliance and self-sufficiency is given to Naomi and even to Elimelech and Malin and Killian in a miracle son who comes to serve them. His name is Obed. Jesus is the greater Obed. He's the son who came to serve us by suffering for our sins and to rescue us from the death that our sins deserved. You see it, church? We don't have to wait for the New Testament to know that the redemption that God would give would require the resurrection of the sons of men through God's gift of a miracle son. There was no other way for the name of Elimelech to be raised from the dead. It's what 
he says in verse 5, what he says again in verse 10, somebody's got to raise up the name of Elimelech. At Christmas, the Spirit of God conceives Christ in a virgin's womb to provide a Savior who's unstained by Adam's sin and qualified to rescue all the sons and daughters of Adam who will trust in Christ to redeem us, to save us, rescue us, deliver us, to pay the price for what was ours with his own death and to give us what is his, the righteousness of God and everlasting life. When we stand back for a moment, as I did at Starbucks a few days ago, And we sort of take a 35,000 foot view of what happens in verses 9 through 16. It compels us to worship God, our Redeemer. I mean, look at what redemption means. Redemption means, first off, that we have an inheritance. Those of us who had no standing, no inheritance, no place among the people of God, no assurance of victory or of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, Boaz pays the price for Naomi's field and gives her, Ruth, and their descendants a forever share in the field that he purchased. It's not a field they purchased, it's a field that he bought for their benefit. When God himself came to pay a price for us in the person of Christ, we got far more church than a fertile field in Bethlehem. We got far more than a good deal on a piece of property out in Vodata. We became co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17, with an inheritance on reserve in heaven, 1 Peter 1, 4. Those who will not inherit just a land in Canaan, but the whole earth, Matthew 5, 5. As Ferguson puts it, it is God's declared purpose, sealed at the expense of His Son, to bless you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? We have an inheritance on reserve in the heavenlies, secured by the blood of Christ our King. Secondly, redemption brings restoration. Ruth leaves a family and a home over in Moab, and God gives her a family and a home among the people of God. Naomi loses her sons, and God gives her a son. Naomi returns to Bethlehem empty, but God fills her stomach and her house. I don't know what sin has taken from you this morning. I don't know if it's a job or a family or meaning or purpose, but here's what I do know. When you really come to Christ, when you really give your life to Him and live for Him and interact with and come into among his people, he will restore you and he will fill you. He will redeem you and his redemption brings restoration. Thirdly, we see that redemption means intimacy with God as a part of his multi-ethnic family. In this one story, the Redeemer is presented as a father, a husband, and a son. Interesting, is it not, that we know God is our Father, Christ is our Bridegroom, who is the Son sent by the Father for our redemption. Boaz is a Redeemer because he marries Ruth and he fathers a son. There was no other way for them to be redeemed, and so Boaz is the father in the story who gives, if you will, a son. Obed is also a Redeemer because he's the son that was necessary to perpetuate the name of Elimelech on the land. 
So like Obed, Jesus is the son sent from the father. And like Boaz, Jesus is the husband to his bride, the church, who unites himself not only with Israelites, but with a, with a woman from Moab. This is a foreshadowing of the multi-ethnic people of God, the church, the bride of Christ. And when we stop trying to fix the deadness of our lives and give ourselves instead to Jesus, we become radically united with Christ the Son through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit so that His Father becomes our Father. Indeed, Jesus has taught us to pray to God as what? Our Heavenly Father. Paul reminds us in Galatians 4, 6, and 7, because we are sons, and I would add daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Redemption means intimacy with God our Father through the death of His Son on our behalf, who adopts us in His Son as sons and daughters. Finally, we see that redemption is about the fame of the Son. It's about the fame or the glory of the Son. This is clear at several points in this passage. In verse 14, the women say to Naomi, may his name become famous in Israel. In verse 11, the last half of that verse is is not translated very well in most translations. The Hebrew text suggests that the end of the verse is not actually about Boaz, but rather about his sons, and in particular a son. The end of verse 11 should read, Make sons of character in Ephrathah and proclaim a name in Bethlehem. Whose name to be proclaimed in Bethlehem? The Obed, but ultimately Jesus, right? Obed, and then David, and then ultimately Christ, the eternal king. We've been redeemed by God's Son, for the purpose of proclaiming the redemption of, excuse me, the greatness of his name. Redemption is not fundamentally or ultimately about us, but about the glory of the Son who does the redeeming. B.B. Warfield wrote it this way There is no one of the titles of Christ which is more precious to Christian hearts than Redeemer. It gives expression not merely to our sense that we have received salvation from Him, but also our appreciation of what it cost Him to procure the salvation for us. Whenever we pronounce it, the cross is placarded before our eyes and our hearts filled with loving remembrance, not only that Christ has given us salvation, but that He paid a mighty price for it. Christ the Redeemer willingly paid the price for us. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Act 4, scene 3, a royal genealogy. A royal genealogy. What we see at the end here of the book of Ruth is that the book of Ruth is about a redemption that's going to come through a king down the line. We have a royal genealogy and we see that God saves his people by sending his king and he uses us in the process. God saves his people by sending a king and he uses us, his people, in the process. Ruth begins with a reminder that this story occurred during the time of the judges. Do you remember that all the way back in in Act 1, Scene 1? It was during the time of the judges 
And do you remember, if you go read the book of the Judges, it says over and over again that those people did what was right in their own eyes and that there was no king in Israel. And yet, at the end of a book that occurred in the time of the Judges, we get the assurance that a king came out of this story. And not just any king, the king of Israel, the prototypical king, King David, the man after God's own heart. What a transformation through God's work in one family who turned back to Him by going to Bethlehem. What might God do through one family at North Roanoke Baptist Church who stops playing games and runs wholeheartedly back to God? What, what deliverance might He provide for some others by pointing others to King Jesus through such a transformation in your life? Ruth teaches us, folks, that God works on the small scale of our apparently insignificant lives to work out a larger master plan for the world. There in Bethlehem, God takes a family that is as good as dead and gives Israel her king. The people of Bethlehem get what they pray for in verse 11. Ruth becomes like Rachel and Leah. Who are Rachel and Leah? They're the wives of Jacob. They're the, the, the founding mothers of the nation of Israel. Ruth becomes like these women, a Gentile, barren, widowed woman from Moab becomes the great-grandmother of, excuse me, the grandmother of King David. She has a son with a great name, a house like Perez, a house that again was dead, but God raised up a redeemer and he gives them 10 sons that lead to King David, a house that was once dead now gives life and leadership to the people of God. And if God can do that for a barren Moabite woman, what can he do still today by the indwelling Spirit of God in the heart of a church? I don't know what tragedies have come in your life, and I don't know why they've come, but here's what I do know. If Naomi could go back to the moment that she left Bethlehem, she would shake her head at herself. If only she could have seen what God would do. If only she could have understood God's unstoppable will to bring redemption through His Son. And if God can intercept the tragic lives of Ruth and Naomi and bring life out of the deadness of their mistakes, especially Naomi's, how much more can this God who came near to us in the person of His Son and wrapped Himself in humanity and died for you and bled for you and was risen for you and poured out His Spirit for you, how much more can He use your life, no matter how tragic it has been, no matter how disappointing, to bring life to others who still don't know Him? Don't let your current circumstances drive you from the God who has already proven His faithfulness to you by sending you His Son. Don't let your current circumstances be the ruler by which you measure God's faithfulness. Church, we've got to measure the faithfulness of God, not by our circumstances, but by the full pardon of Christ that, excuse me, the full pardon that Christ's blood secured for each and every one who call upon the name of the Lord. One day Christ will return. And he will surely vanquish the enemies of the people of God. And he will set the world right. But until he returns, there are tragedies. There are 
harmful circumstances, and yet in the midst of that, Christ is winning the nations through people who trust that God keeps His promises even in the midst of the greatest trials. He is winning the nations not by vanquishing them currently, but by winning them through the convicting presence of the Spirit of God as people who are struggling and fighting in a fallen world don't give up on the fact that God loves them. And no matter what trials they face, they continue to share the gospel. They continue to declare the fame of Christ the Son. And then we see people like Tamar, like Ruth, like you, and like me adopted and included among the people. Of God. You see, church, when God redeems us, like when He redeemed Ruth, He does it for a purpose far greater than our own salvation, as great as that is. He does it so that we would point others to God's all glorious Son and King. So this morning, if you are in God's family, if, he, if He's taken you out of your sin, if He's taken you out of Moab, if you will, and adopted you into His family and filled your barren life with the indwelling presence of the Spirit of His Son, if He's done those things, He's done those things in your life so that you would point others to His glorious King, just as Ruth's son ultimately leads to King David. God redeems us to make us builders of the kingdom of His beloved Son. He does it so that we would be like Rachel and Leah and Ruth and Tamar. People who keep on pointing people to the Son who redeems. So as we give thanks for what God did through Ruth, I want to leave you with this thought this morning. Are there not dozens or hundreds or even thousands more that God has in store To give thanks to God for His Son because of what God does through you. Who does God have in store to save because of what God's going to do in your life? In 2019, may we measure God's faithfulness by the size of Christ's sacrifice. And may we build Christ's kingdom by living not for a life of comfort and ease or convenience. But may we live lives desperate for God to fill us and use us for the glory of Christ our King, no matter what it costs, no matter what it requires, because our King has already paid the price. Would you bow with me? King Jesus, we thank you for your redemption. We thank you that through your blood we have an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unreserved. We thank you that through your blood that we have intimacy and the father that we rejected we now know as his sons and his daughters. God, we thank you that your name is glorious and it's the name above every other name and it is the only name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And we ask God, That as we turn the corner to 2019, that we would not look at ourselves and our circumstances and conclude uh, that your promises are weak or that they're faltering. But rather, God, that we would look to the cross of Calvary and we would conclude that if you gave your son for us, if you gave your life for us, then it is nothing for us to give our lives for you. God, help us to, to give our mouths and our hands and our hearts wholeheartedly to the praise and the worship and the declaration that Christ is our risen, reigning, redeeming King. We ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I invite you to stand.
as we sing a hymn of invitation. I don't know your needs this morning, but if you want to be a part of a church that believes the kingship of Christ and the sonship of Christ is our, is our aim and our hope, we'd invite you to come and join the team. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't know what it's like to have an inheritance, to be, have an intimate relationship with God as your Father through the blood of Christ on your behalf and to be filled up to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Maybe today is the day you come to Christ and exchange your sin for His righteousness and get totally, radically saved. Whatever your need, we encourage you to stand as we sing. Only trust Him. <laughs>